Matthew chapter 16. We'll be in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13 and reading to verse 20. Matthew 13. Oh, I'm sorry, Matthew 16. <laughs> Pastor Doug's down here going, ha 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 ha. It might have been the pills. I'm not sure. When Jesus came to the reason of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for uh, the opportunity to come to church and, and hear your word. Lord, and just uh, to have our hearts blessed by what you would have for us. And Lord, I ask that you would uh, bless this congregation this morning. Lord, I ask that you would watch over us as we come together and worship in your name. Lord, I pray for Pastor Doug. uh, Give his back strength. And Lord, uh, as we trust that when our bodies fail, that you are there to hold us up. Lord, I trust that uh, when our minds become clouded with fear, that you are there to hold our hands and guide us, Lord. Lord, I uh, again thank you for being able to be here today with all of your people, Lord, and I thank you for the technology you have given us so that we may reach more uh, than who are here. Lord, I ask and pray that you would just continue to watch over this entire congregation here, guard our hearts as we hear your word. Lord, I pray for those who are watching on online that you would, uh, Lord, give them great focus today so they may hear your word well. Lord, I ask and pray all these things in your name. Amen. Caesarea Philippi is a region that is about 25 miles north or the most northern border of the Sea of Galilee. It's a region that particularly Jesus spent a number of times there, but this time he comes from a journey that he has just finished feeding 4,000 individuals. The text tells us there's 4,000 men, but we may very well think that there were women and children there also. And then he warns his disciples at the beginning of this chapter to be careful of something. To be careful that they don't swallow, if you will, or don't wallow in the Pharisees' teachings. 
The Pharisees' unbelief, basically. Because what was happening prior to our text this morning is that they are in a ship and they are on their way to Caesarea Philippi and they begin to discuss amongst themselves did anybody bring lunch? And they began to discuss the fact that where are we going to get lunch? And it was there that, that Jesus chided them a little bit to tell them, to inform them, guys, you missed out. And it reminds them of two instances where you remember what I did for 5,000 and the 12 baskets that you collected. And then we just got done feeding 4,000. And again, the baskets that you collected. Why are you guys worried about lunch? Because the one that you have in the boat with you is the bread of life. And then verse, 5, verse 12 ends with the fact that the disciples got it. They understood what Jesus was saying to them concerning don't swallow the leaven of the Pharisees or the Sadducees. Unbelief. And while they're in Caesarea Philippi, when they land there, there's, there's something there that many of us have probably never seen. Maybe we have in pictures. But there was a temple that was built there in honor of Caesar Augustus. And I kind of wonder is if Jesus, when he's walking with his disciples, and he comes to the, the threshold, if you will, of this temple, he asks them a question. And the question centers around what are men or who do you hear from that describe me? Who do men say that I am? Amen, young lady. Jesus wants to make sure that his disciples understand what culturally is going on around them. When someone asks you the question, or you've heard people make comments about who Jesus is, you inevitably hear things like, well, he was a good man. Or he was someone over there. It's rare on the streets that you hear individuals react the same way that Simon Peter did. The disciples said to Jesus, well, some are saying that you're John the Baptist. Uh, now, that's an interesting comment because by this time, John the Baptist is dead and gone. His head was lopped off to appease a dancing teenager. And so for individuals that have heard him say that this is John the Baptist, makes mention that society may very well be in tune with miracles. 
Because how can John the Baptist come back if it wouldn't be for a miracle? And then they commented too, as Pastor Steve read the passage for you. Some say you're John the Baptist. Others say that you are Elijah. Now, Elijah is also an interesting comment because in the Jewish realm, Elijah was supposed to be an individual who would come at some time and somehow in some way to announce to announce the greatness of the kingdom. They didn't have the full text that we have right now, but we do know, at least that I believe, that there will be a day during the time of the great tribulation that Elijah is going to show up again. He's going to be involved in announcing something. He's going to be involved in drawing individuals or showing individuals the kingdom of God. And so at least this tells me that in society, they're thinking about prophecy. What's going to happen? How is it all going to come into being? And then they say, and still others, Jeremiah. Or one of the prophets. Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. He's the one that God uses to warn the nation of Judah and Israel of pending doom. The words he had to say, people were not excited about. He found himself in the bottom of wells. He found himself cast out from the people because of the words he had to say. They didn't like what Jeremiah was saying when he said, thus saith the Lord God. So at least in society, they had somewhat of an idea of the word of God. I find ourselves in that kind of a society today. People are wondering, what's it coming to? What's happening? They're they're asking questions about, is this the end time? They want to know some things about the word of God. When someone asks me, what is the world coming to? I have two words. The end. It's coming to an end. Jesus, in hearing those comments from his apostles, came forth with another question, a more personal question. And he said to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? That's an interesting question for us to even ponder a little bit. I feel my back getting stronger. Hold on. 
That's a good question for us to ponder even here this morning, isn't it? Who, who would we say Jesus Christ is? Well, we may comment the fact that he's my savior. And, and that is glorious because that's depicted not upon who you are, but what he's done. We may say that, unfortunately, I've heard believer people say, he, he's the man upstairs. It depends on, that answer depends on one thing and one thing only. What's your association to him? What's your association to him? Have you come to that place in your life? Have you come to that moment in your life when you recognize two things? First, I'm a sinner and there's sin to be paid for. And second, I can't pay for it by myself. And what rides upon that is the association that Jesus Christ says that I so love the world that I gave my life for you. The association that Jesus Christ is looking for in the lives of his apostles is this. How well do you know me? Now, up to this time, they have been spending at least three years with Jesus. They have seen all that Jesus has done. They have heard all that Jesus has said. They are aware of the community around them and what they're saying. And Jesus is saying to them, am I influencing you or is the world influencing you? I want to know who you think I am. Association. It's one of the bright spots in Peter's life. For he comes forward and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know what's amazing about that is what Jesus commented. He said, Pete, you didn't get that from man. You got that from heaven. My father gave that to you. Do you want to know what the association with Jesus Christ depends upon? Is this. Are you listening to the word of God? And what the word has to say. For the word speaks of who Jesus Christ is. I think if I gave every one of you a piece of paper, you could have at least write maybe 1,000 words to describe of who Jesus is. Savior, keeper, protector, 
provider. But you don't know that things unless you're in the word. In other words, Peter, you've been listening to heaven. And that's a good thing. And then Jesus rewards Peter with an amazing statement. Simon, I'm going to start calling you Peter, Petros, small stone, pebble. And upon the words that you said, upon that rock, Petra, many little stones combined to one huge stone, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell won't be able to stand against it. And here's the thing I want to focus on for the remainder part of our time. Then Jesus says to Peter and to all of his disciples that were there, and I will give you something. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. And those keys are to be used for loosing and binding, as is described in heaven on earth. Many years prior to this, his disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And in Matthew chapter 6, there's that glorious prayer. He says, when you pray, pray this. And there's a line in that prayer which says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We as a church are supposed to live under the authority of heaven. In other words, bringing heaven's principles down in earthly time. And we do that by having keys. There are many places in scriptures that talk about keys. There are a few. In Isaiah chapter 22 and verse 22, it's referenced there that the high priest Eliaphaz is going to be given the key of David to wear. In in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, Jesus describes himself as the one who holds the keys of death and hell. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7, to the church of Philadelphia, he says, I will give to you the keys of David. And then here in Matthew chapter 16, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. There are those commentators that say that Jesus is only talking to Peter here. Because in Acts chapter 2, Peter in his great sermon opened the door of heaven 
to all the Jews as he preached because it said many believed and were baptized. In Acts chapter 9, Peter again being used by God to minister to an individual named Cornelius opened the door to the Gentiles of heaven where they too came to know Jesus Christ. But they're missing a very valuable point because when Jesus says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom, that word you there is not singular, it's plural in the Greek. Now, if this was translated in, in, in our language, we would say, and I'll give yous. We would understand it then. If you're from Texas, it'd be, I'll give you all. From the South, same thing, I'll give you all. In other words, it's not inclusive just to, exclusive just to Peter. It's inclusive to the association of who do men say that, who do you say that I am? In other words, the church. In Matthew, there are only two times that the church is used, the word church, ecclesia, called out once. Here in Matthew 16 and then again in Matthew chapter 18, the only two times in all of the Gospels, the only two times it's used. It's about the church. What's interesting about keys is this. Keys give you the authority. All these new fangled cars now where you're supposed to have a key but you really don't have a key. You have this funny looking fob that you just place inside the vehicle and then you push a button. Then it starts. When Daryl Byerly and I, when we went to Las Vegas to bring one of the cars back that, that Steve has, and I'm trying to figure where does a key fit? And he said, Dad, you just push this button. <laughs> Keys give you authority. All the different vehicles out here in the parking lot can only be run by the individual who holds the key to that vehicle. You can place Two exact cars, one after the other, came off the assembly line in Detroit, put them in a parking lot, and one key is going to work in one and not the other because that key doesn't have authority over that vehicle. Keys have authority. And when Jesus says to them, I will give you the keys 
of the kingdom of heaven. That's where the authority of the church comes from. We have the authority based upon the word of God in order to bring about instances of heaven in time on earth. Keys. Not only do keys, you have authority, but you have accessibility too. You all have keys to your home. And when the keys you have and the house is locked up, you're the only one that has authority to get in. And when you get in, then you have accessibility to all that there is. For the five years that we were on campus at Lancaster Bible College, we had college students that referred to our apartment as their place to get a snack. When they came in, and some of the first places they went to without even saying hello was to the refrigerator or to the cupboard. Because they knew that mom, Nancy, made cookies or had stuff on hand, and so they made themselves at home. But there was a night that students were not allowed in our apartment. That was Thursday nights. Thursday nights was our family night. No one was allowed in our apartment. They might have thought they had authority when they came knocking on the door and turning the handle, but they weren't getting in. They weren't getting accessible. We have the authority of the keys of the kingdom of heaven to be able to access all that there is in heaven while we're here on earth. It's accessible to us. The cupboards of heaven are full. But maybe we haven't taken the time to open them up. The other thing about keys is this. Is that they are available. Keys do you no good staying in your pocket. They're there for you to use. There's only one key in my household that none of my family's members are, are, are given permission to use. Yes, it's my lawnmower. <laughs> That's the place where grace stops. The mower is mine. Until I'm finished here and then someone else, it'll be someone else's. It belongs to the church, but try to come and take it from me. <laughs> but they're available. And the sad thing of it is, is that when Jesus Christ was asking his disciples, but who do you say that I am? He wants to know are they accessing everything about him? 
are accessible. In the remaining few minutes, I want to give to you six keys of the kingdom that we as a church have at our disposal to use in order to bring about the very presence of heaven on this earth. The first one is this. It's the key of truth. The key of truth. Jesus says in John chapter 17 and verse 17, in his wonderful priestly, high priestly prayer, he says, Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. But what I'm asking you to sanctify them by your word, for your word is truth. We have the truth. We live in a society today that is convinced that there is no foundational truth. And yet, they refuse to acknowledge the fact that there is truth. There is the truth of gravity. There is the truth of heat and cold. There is the truth of rain. There is the truth of wind. But what they are focusing in on is not those particular aspects but what they refuse to recognize is the one who gives them the truth. The Bible was never designed. It was never published. It was never given as its foundation to prove that there's God. For the first verse says, God. It was to be a known fact. Oh, there are elements in our society that highlight and point to the fact that there is God. But the word of God was not intended to prove that there's God. That is to be a given. It's truth. And we've been given that key. And when the world out there is clamoring for answers, we got the key. It's right here. The second key, the key of salvation. The key of salvation. Romans chapter 10 and gloriously verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 3.16, you can put that right next to it. It's the truth of salvation. Because in every individual lives, there are four things that they want to know. Where did I come from? Who's in control? What's the meaning of my life? And what's my destiny? And in the truth of the key of salvation, in the truth of the key of the word of God... We can answer 
Salvation is the key. Have you been praying for your unsaved friends, your unsaved relatives, your unsaved co-workers? Lord, save them. That's a key. Which leads me to the next key, the key of prayer. The key of prayer. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious in nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. We have the key of prayer. And in the key of prayer, we access the very throne room of God. It is in that place that the writer of Hebrews even says, let us come boldly before the throne. How many of us scatter around trying to find answers to situations and the last place we go to is prayer? Oh, we want to know what Ann Landers has to say. Oh, we want to know what our next door neighbor has to say. And I'm not doubting the fact that they may have some kind of an answer. But what you should be doing is going before God who has all the answers in prayer. It's a key. Someone has once said that prayer moves the hand of God. Prayer. The next key. The key of giving. The key of giving. In 2 Corinthians 9, 27, it says, The Lord loves a cheerful giver. I should have said that before we took the offering. It's a key of giving. Not just, not just monetarily things. Do you realize the joy? Maybe we don't know yet fully, and maybe we never will, but the joy that was given to Zoe by you giving of your time to go by her home and just beep your horn crazy. She was so excited that there were times when Janet had to grab hold of her because she had to run out in the traffic. That's giving. It's giving of meals that many of you ladies do. It's giving of your time. It's giving of your resources. It's the key of giving. The next key is the key of compassion. The key of compassion. Compassion is that being able to love someone whom nobody else cares for. Compassion. 
I have to give you a quote of one of my mentors who is no longer on this earth. I've never met the man. I've heard him speak once, but I've read many of his books. His name is Ravi Zacharias. This is what he has to say. He says, truth, I says, the cost of truth is huge, but compassion and with conviction is indispensable. Compassion with conviction is indispensable. It's a key. It's a key that wins the hearts of individuals when they come to realize that there are people who really do care. And they want to be a part of that. It's the kind of compassion that Jesus Christ has on those who are lost when he says, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance is compassion. And the last key I give to you this morning is this. The key of conformity. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. To be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Conformity. What's dynamic about these keys is the closing remark that Jesus has. Because he says with these keys you can loose that which is bound and bind that which is loose. You want to change the situation of our world today? I'm here to tell you access the keys of the kingdom. And God will, by his grace and for his glory, change the world. If you use that which he's given. Let's pray together. (laughs) Our Father and our God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for the empowerment through the Holy Spirit enabling us to use the keys, keys of the kingdom, the keys that bring down the reality of heaven and place it in the midst of a mixed up world. It's keys that we can use to further your kingdom in order that souls would come to know you as Savior. There could be no greater joy. So glad I pray And I ask that the accessibility of these keys would become a reality in our lives as we live to serve and honor you 
And it is the matchless name of Christ our Savior, I pray. Amen.